love this about our church, though, because in the summer, we like to give Pastor Justin some space to just really focus on the interns and pour everything he has um, into that. And then I love that we also like to give Bob some breathing room to spend time with his family and marry people off out of his family and things like that. Um, but trust me, of the two or three people that you will hear from this summer, I am the most random. Um, so... But as a member of this church body for over 10 years now, I've always loved when someone new gets to speak um, and just to hear what the Spirit is stirring in their heart differently than um, what we hear from Bob and Justin um, and that they can bring something new and fresh to us. And so that's my prayer today, um, that that would be your experience as well. And I say this every time that Bob asks me to teach. Um, it's just such a privilege anytime I get to walk through Scripture and share that with you all. And so I'm always really grateful to be here. Um, it is, however, really interesting um, to find out what he would like for us to teach on when he sends the email um, and says, here's the passage. Um, at the beginning of the summer, he said, hey, this is going to be our, our series. And I actually laughed out loud when I saw that we were going to be going through the Psalms this summer, um, because this is my fourth year of reading through the Bible chronologically. And at the end-ish of May was when we got to the point where we were going to hit the Psalms. Now, when you're reading chronologically, you're also reading through First and Second Samuel and First and Second Chronicles while reading about David's actual life and what's happening while also reading the Psalms that he wrote. And as soon as we got to this stretch and I saw that the Psalms were coming up, um, I actually texted um, Ashley Dawson, who is, is in that group with us, and I texted her and I said, oh no, here it comes, the Psalms. Um, they're not my favorite. And I said, I'm honestly struggling with being in the Psalms again. Um, and I went back to that text message and I thought, I'm going to pull a direct quote so I can share this with you guys. This is what I said to her. I said, it gets monotonous. I said, I think that's my main struggle with the Psalms and Proverbs. Honestly, I just get bored. So aren't you guys glad that I'm here today to talk to you guys about the Psalms? Um, but here's the deal. I just want action. I want action in my life and in the Bible. I want things to be moving forward. And so when I shared this with Ashley, as she generally does, she had a lot of um, good wisdom and insight to give me and calm me down a bit. Um, and she just reminded me that we need, when we're reading the Bible, we need to remember about the author's humanity, Right? This was a crazy time for David in his life. Um, he was trying to follow God and be the leader of Israel, but he's also like Saul's chasing him, trying to kill him. Um, and then she said, think of a dark time in your life when you couldn't see the end or you didn't know why things were happening. And she said, think about, which I, Dave Hine did a great job of kind of walking us through times like that a few weeks ago. Um, but she said, think of that time and you'll probably remember that your prayers were the same thing over and over again, right? Um, and so the psalm started to look a little differently to me after that conversation. And even though I went to a Christian college and I took theology classes and my husband went to a Bible college, neither of us had ever heard the language that Bob um, has been talking to us about this summer, the language of orientation, disorientation, and reorientation throughout the psalms. And in light of that, feeling like every psalm felt so similar um, and redundant, being able to put that framework around them in just in these three basic ways was incredibly helpful for me um, to start to separate them out. And I hope that it has been for you as well. 
Um, and I know in the summer a lot of people are in and out. There's a lot of things going on. Um, and so I would encourage you to go back and listen. We've been through orientation, disorientation, and reorientation one full cycle. And we're starting back over with orientation today. I would encourage you to go back and listen to those if you've missed them. Um, but to kind of catch everyone up, and even if you've been here, it's been seven days since we've been here and lots has happened. So, um, so just to remind us, Psalms of Orientation, okay, these are the Psalms that affirm that God is in control, right? We know who God is, life is well-ordered, and by extension, we know who we are because we, we know who God is in that oriented state. And then Psalms of Disorientation, like Dave walked us through, these are the ones of lament and questions. They come from a place of pain and suffering, um, disappointment or persecution. And then we get to Psalms of reorientation. And this is what Bob walked us through last week, um, looking back on things in the past, right, and offering thanks to God during that time for being our deliverance and our provision and allowing that um, remembrance of God to bring us back into the state of orientation. So another way you can think of these psalms um, that were written as songs are a soundtrack of the human soul, right? Um, and this week we're back to a psalm of orientation, of alignment. Um, and I just kind of thought this little doodle that I found was kind of helpful to remind us that this is something that's continually happening. And we've had conversations with people in the church once we've started this series, and people are like, man, I feel like I did all this this morning. Um, and that can be true. This isn't something that's like, this will happen over the course of the year. This could happen on a Sunday morning where you're like, you wake up and you feel oriented with God and then you, something happens and you feel that disorientation and then you remember God. This is a constant state that we're walking through as Christians. Um, and the psalm that we are looking at today is, like I said, is a psalm of alignment, of centering us again. And it's Psalm 19. And this psalm is truly beautiful Ever since Bob asked me to teach on this particular one, I've been trying to read it over and over and over again, and I hope today that you'll start to see the beauty that I found in it as well. So turn with me to Psalm 19, and we're going to start by reading it um, in its entirety here. It's a short one. It's on page, I think, 783. I hope I have that number right, in your pew Bible. Um, look it up on your phone or whatever, but we are going to read it together. Psalm 119. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet, their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned. 
In keeping them, there is great reward. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Do you guys pray with me? God, just thank you um, for everyone who is here this morning, and thank you for um, the Bible, and that we get to open it together and just get to learn more about who you are, and I just ask that it would help orient us in that truth this morning, God. Um, you know what everyone has been through this morning just to be sitting in this pew right now, um, and I just, I do ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing in your sight, God, and that um, we could leave here today just truly gazing on your glory um, anew. So in your name we pray. Amen. All right, so let's break down this psalm a bit and dive in. Um, the first six verses that we read um, really echo what Bob talk, taught about the first time we were on orientation uh, a few weeks ago. So if you remember, that was Psalm 8, and that week he read a verse where David wrote, you have set your glory in the heavens. And here we get an almost exact refrain of that again, where he says, the heavens declare the glory of God. And we talked previously about how God wants to reveal himself to us through his creation, and we asked the question, how often do we allow ourselves to really look at the heavens and like it says here in verse 1, the heavens that proclaim the work of his hands. How often do we allow ourselves to be in the midst of that? It's almost as if this connection to the physical world that God has given us is one of the greatest ways he wants to reveal himself to us. It's almost as if he's going to keep it here and renew it one day and allow us to live here forever. Um, that's really exciting, the new heavens and the new earth. But when we look around and we look at a sunset or a great big oak tree or um, a huge mountain or lightning across the prairie or the beach, the ocean, whatever it is, um, we see that day after day, like the psalm says, they pour forth their speech and reveal knowledge. God is and always has been about revealing himself to us. Um, what's interesting is when we're in the psalms of disorientation, you hear David say, why do you hide yourself from me? Why do you hide yourself from me? And we're in the Psalms of orientation. You hear David saying, you reveal yourself to me all the time. Um, isn't that interesting? And so here we see that God wants to reveal himself to us. He's not trying to hide himself from us. Um, and that's what these first six verses are talking about. Um, if there's a verse in Romans 1.20 that speaks to this exact thing. It says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. This is what we call God's general revelation. Okay, The general revelation is what orients us to God every day if we allow it, not to worship creation, but to worship the one who created it. It's also so that no one can stand before God one day and say, I didn't even know there was a God. 
At the end of May, um, my family and I took our annual trip to Rocky Mountain National Park, and I sometimes have a hard time explaining to people what that place really means to me. Um, but this year, this psalm and this framework of orientation gave me new language to communicate that. Um, it's waking up every day to these giant rock reminders of God's power and his glory, and in, in turn reminding me who I am and who he's made me to be. Um, and I can't make this up, but my daughter Bex and I, one day, we went on a hike, and we were walking along, and there were plaques all along the hike that had Bible verses on them. And I looked, and this was one of the Bible verses, and you probably can't see it, but it's Psalm 19, 1 through 6. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. Um, so the, a crisp rain, you can kind of see there's raindrops on it. A crisp rain had just blown through. Um, there was a fresh, you know, the breeze was clean this, up in the mountains. Man, there's nothing like it. I see some of you, like, taking a deep breath. You know what I'm talking about. Um, and I looked at the larger mountain range beyond where we were at here on this hike, um, and I just had that prayer on my lips from the Psalms that says, they have no speech, they use no words, yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Their voice declaring who God is and rooting me in that truth. Um, and I always think of the line from the old hymn, um, when I survey the wondrous cross. And this is, these are some of the lyrics from that hymn. It says, were the whole realm of nature mine, that were an offering far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my life, my soul, my all. And I always think of that when I'm standing on a summit and I'm looking out at the mountains and the valley, and I think, God has all of this at his disposal, but he wants my, my fickle heart, right? He chooses to pursue me, and that is absolutely incredible. And the only response to that is worship. Bob mentioned that at Young Life Camp, um, they give the campers like 15 minutes to go out and be um, in creation. And he talked about that time and that period of time. And that period of time, Justin May, who goes to church here, if you know him, he has a constellation tattooed on his forearm because that 15 minutes in his life was so powerful to him when he was looking up at the stars that night. Um, and he never wants to forget the vastness of a God that oriented his soul that night. And so he has that reminder. And these psalms of orientation are like that tattoo for us. They're inking our very hearts with the revelation of who God is. And after David opens with these six verses, um, he shifts from the general revelation of God um, through his creation to the written revelation of God that he gives us through his scripture. So now we're going to look at those. And this was the law, which David at the time of writing, when he refers to the law, would have been the Torah or the first five books of the Bible, uh, the Pentateuch, if you've heard it called that. Um, but I think it's safe for us to apply it to the whole canon of scripture that we know now as well and what we hold in our hands. So let's look at these next few verses. And I want you to think about what they say scripture is. It gives us an adjective. I don't need that yet. I'll let you know when I take it down. All right. Okay. They won't pay attention to me if there's something up there. I see all their eyes. Okay. All right. So I want you to think about what it says scripture is. So it gives us an adjective or a description that tells us what scripture is, and then also what it says scripture does for us. So at that point, it gives us a verb or an action word. So let's just start with verse 7. Have it out in front of you. 
So verse 7, the first part there, it says, the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. So what does it say scripture is? In front of you, I just read it. The law of the Lord is perfect. And what does it say that it does? Refreshes, good job, refreshes the soul. So the law of the Lord, you'll catch on. We'll do it again. All right. So the law of the Lord or scripture is perfect. So what does that mean? I looked up the actual Hebrew word for this, um, and the Hebrew word here is tamin. And the broader description of this word is complete or without blemish. And the listeners would have been familiar with this word as it was used in the Torah in Exodus. There we go. (laughs) All right. So here it says, your lamb shall be without blemish. A male, a year old, he shall take it from the sheep or from the goats. So this is when he's talking about the sacrifices that they had to make, and they had to pick a lamb without blemish. And that is the same word we see here. And another um, place that they would have seen it was in Moses' song in Deuteronomy, where he uses it to describe God. It says, the rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice, a God of faithfulness, and without iniquity, just and right is he. So we often think of this word tamim, without blemish, when we think of the word made flesh. When Jesus came to dwell among us, he was without blemish. That's the same way that David is using here to describe scripture. Scripture is tamim. It speaks to wholeness. It contains the whole picture of who God is for us, and who we are by extension. And when we view scripture in this way, what does it say? Again, you you guys already said this. What does it say it does? It refreshes the soul. And that word refresh is also a little different in Hebrew. It actually means, um, or another way you can say it, is to return or to revive or restore. So scripture is tamim. It is without blemish. It is whole. And it calls us back into right relationship with God. It orients us. We use scripture as a constant necessity to be drawn back into fellowship with God. So let's look back at our verse here in the second half of verse 7. It says, the statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. So it is trustworthy. And what does it do? Exactly. All right. (laughs) You guys are on it this morning. Okay. So scripture is trustworthy. And another word here in other translations you maybe have is sure. Scripture is sure. Meaning we can rely on these pages when there are conflicting messages all around us. And And it says, these trustworthy words make wise the simple. Now, the word simple here is more aligned with what we would say naive and not simple-minded, okay? So making wise the naive. So whether we've lived 20 years or 70 years, we've all lived but a blip here on this, on the, in this world, and our understanding is very small. But when we turn to the trustworthy pages of Scripture, our naivete can decrease. Also, every time I say naivete, it sound, I feel super fancy, but there's no normal way to say that word. All right, so when you're looking for a psalm that praises scripture and orients you to the truth, 
Um, a lot of people will direct you to Psalm 19, but there's one other one that's a lot longer, and it's Psalms 119, so it's kind of easy to remember those. Um, and I wish I could take the time to read that one in its entirety. It's really, really beautiful, but it's pages and pages and pages. So make yourself a note and try and read that this week. Um, spend some time um, with David again where he talks about Scripture and pay attention to how he, what words he uses, how we're supposed to come to Scripture. He talks about praising and meditating and rejoicing in and obeying. Um, but there's a similar idea there. It says in Psalm 119, one, or, sorry, 100. And 19, 130, it says, the unfolding of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. So similar language there, um, but it's a beautiful picture that it gives us light. It's without the orienting words of scripture, we have darkness. And without the understanding it gives us, the only way that we can live is naively. All right, so we can pick up the pace a little bit now that we're seeing this pattern. And in verse 8, it says, The precepts of the Lord are right, and they give joy to the heart. I love this one. The precepts of the Lord are right, and they give joy to the heart. The precepts. So these are the things that are appointed by the Lord that we read about in Scripture. They are right. They are like a line marked on a map for us. Okay? They show us where to follow. It's impossible to grow more and more like Christ if we're not looking at that map of who Christ actually is in Scripture. Um, it's impossible to remain in a place of orientation without this. And when we follow these precepts, not out of a place of legalism, but out of a place of love towards our God, his laws are intended to help us and not harm us. And that makes me think of, um, in 1 John 5, he talks about um, what is it to love God. And to love God is to follow his commands. And it says his commands are not burdensome. And actually, they give joy to the heart. And the second half of verse 8 says God's commands are radiant. And what do they do? They give light to the eyes. Again, this is light and darkness language. It's like that pit that Bob talked about last week. That's a very dark place. And God's commands bring us through that process of reorientation out of that dark place, back to orientation, allowing God to give us light. And verse 9 says the fear of the Lord, which is a synonym here for this is talking about God's law. It's describing the law by its effect on us. Um, because when we humbly come to the whole doctrine of God, the only response to that in a healthy way is that we have a healthy and holy fear of who God is. So here he says, the fear of the Lord is pure and it endures forever. So it's pure, meaning it is clean. It has a purifying effect on us. And it lasts forever. Scripture shows us how to be in right relationship with God, how to be in that oriented state. And that relation, the relationship is something that endures forever. Even when we find ourselves in the disoriented state, we can know that that is still enduring forever, which allows us to fight for reorientation when we do find ourselves there. And then we continue on and we see that scripture is firm. It is more precious than gold. It is sweeter than honey. 
And we see that in verse 11, it warns us and also provides great reward. And I love what Spurgeon said. He's an old theologian. Um, and I love what he said in regard to verse 11. Um, and the language in this is a little outdated, but we're going to fight through it. I'll help you through it, okay? So let's read this together. It says, On the sea of life, there would be many more wrecks if it were not for the divine storm signals which give to the watchful a timely warning. So the divine storm signals, meaning scripture. The Bible should be our mentor, our monitor, our memento mori, which is Latin for, like, remind us that we all die, um, our remembrancer and the keeper of our conscience. Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Then we shall know, so he's saying, when we're with God, then we shall know the value of the scriptures when we swim in that sea of unutterable delight to which their streams, to which the streams of scripture will bear us if we commit ourselves to them. And I thought that's such a beautiful reminder of what we are coming to scripture for, right? To bear us to the foot of Jesus. And at the end of this psalm, David turns more inward. And in the presence of divine truth, there's, there's nothing but that response that seems appropriate. And actually, I think in verse 12, um, he puts a question mark there, but I think it should be an exclamation point. Who can discern their own errors? Even if we think we're good at spotting our own sins, there's no way we can know them all. And when we live oriented with God, knowing him, reading scriptures, our response has to be like David's. I don't want sin to rule over me. Show me my sins. I can't detect my sins. Help me. And it makes me think of another portion in Psalm 119, um, verse 11, that says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. But we must remember too, just as we use a compass to orient us on a map, we use the Bible to orient us to God, to the bigger thing. The Bible is the tool, not the goal. We use it to fill our hearts and not our heads. It's like the first half of this psalm where we talked about we don't want to worship creation, we want to worship the creator, right? And the second half reminds us that we can't be so pleased with understanding scripture that we disregard the word himself, Jesus, who seeks to have that intimate relationship with him. This is the thing that we can fill our hearts with, though, every day, every morning to try and set our course for the day so that we can live in that place of orientation. Because what, like we talked about, bye, like we talked about, the inevitable disorientation is coming for us, right? So we can take that time to set ourselves in that place. All right, so let's close by looking at the last verse here, verse 14. It says, may the words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Now, in most translations, um, and when I remember memorizing this verse, it said, the words, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, which is a little bit broader. Um, but I was so struck by this prayer of David when I was in high school, years ago, um, that I actually wrote this scripture reference on my basketball shoes every season. Um, and so I, I did that because it might seem kind of silly now, but for me, 
This was such a reminder that I wanted to live in such a way that no matter what was happening around me, whether there was a call that didn't go my way or one of my teammates forgot to run the play or you know the crowd was getting crazy or whatever it was, um, I wanted the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart, even on the basketball court, to be pleasing to God. And I wanted to stay grounded and oriented in who God was at all those times in the midst of whatever happened. I tried to find my basketball shoes so I could show you, but they're long gone. Um, but I love how he writes this prayer. Um, he ends it with, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And if you remember Bob talked about when you see Lord in all caps, that was their word was Jehovah there, my rock and my redeemer. Because I love that he ends this way because it's a reminder for us of by whom and how we can even begin to try and keep God's commands. By whom and how we can even attempt to have words and thoughts that are pleasing to God. It says it is through the rock, which is another way of saying it's his strength. That's what rock means that enables us, and it is by the Redeemer, the one that saves us. Strength and salvation that come from him and not us, that enable us. And if you feel like you're on your own trying to figure out how to be oriented in this world, you can't do it. You have to be with the rock and the Redeemer. And if that's a conversation you want to have with me afterwards, I'd love to talk with you. Um, But I love how David begins this psalm with the heavens. And he ends it with the Redeemer, whose glory fills the heavens. And when we are oriented with God, we rejoice in his creation, and we relish in the pages of the Bible, and we plead to recognize our own sin, and we try to please him with our words and with our, with our mouth, but we also recognize it is through his strength, and it is through his saving that allow for that life of orientation to occur. A couple of weeks ago, um, a friend of mine invited me and my daughter Blythe to go to Silver Dollar City with her down in Branson, Um, and I'm always up for a fun time with friends, so of course I said yes, but um, roller coasters have never really been my scene, and uh, throughout the day, my daughter Blythe discovered she really loves them, but I did not get on a single one, and so finally, you know, I was thinking at the end of the day, like, you know, I'm I'm probably going to come back here for a while, and it's been at least a decade since I'd been on a roller coaster, and a lot, a lot changes since your 20s. You know, I, I used to not like asparagus, and look at me now. So I thought, I, I'll try it. I'll try it. So I, uh, I told the girls, I said, all right, I'll do one ride before we leave the park. We were going to leave in about 30 minutes. And I said, you can pick. That was my first mistake. And so they immediately, they chose a roller coaster called the Time Traveler, which is a newer one at Silver Dollar City, if you haven't been there. Um, he, I, I decided to pull up some pictures so um, you can see the, <laughs> it is mean, thank you. So this is what they chose for me. So you can see that the carts actually spin in a circle while you're spinning and going upside down and sideways and, <sighs> guys, I'm getting, okay. So it was it was unequivocally some of the worst two minutes of my life. Um, we, I gripped onto the bars as hard as I could, and I clenched my teeth, determined that I wasn't going to scream. I was going to play it cool. Um, and I shut my eyes the entire time. 
And I told myself I just needed to breathe, and so we're spinning upside down and around, and I remind you, around and around in a circle also. Um, and I had a lot of internal monologue going on during that, and this was what it was. It's almost over. It's almost over. It has to be almost over. It's almost over. It's almost over. That's all I said to myself the whole time. Um, and I felt the ride slowly and gradually stopping, and so I was opening my eyes. And at one point during the ride, the cars slowed to a stop, and then shot us off again. Um, and I swore that it did that, and then it put us backwards, but everyone else on the ride that had their eyes open said, no, we went forward. Um, I didn't know, I was so disoriented the whole entire ride, and I was just trying to survive. Um, but I wouldn't have been surprised when I opened my eyes at the end of the ride, and we were like on the moon or something. That's how, like, it was awful. Um, but because of the way the carts were set, you kind of face some people while you're on this ride. And so we're pulling back into the station, and this sweet 18 or 19-year-old girl is facing me, and she goes, are you okay? <laughs> and so I thought I'd played it cool by just, you know, like gritting my teeth, but apparently I looked every bit as awful as I felt. She was very concerned for me. Um, but after I got off and I got my sea legs again, I actually thought about Psalm 19. And I thought about the times in my life when I felt like I was spiritually on a roller coaster and I felt as spiritually disoriented as I felt on the time traveler. I was moving forward and thought I was going backward, but I was spinning and upside down um, and ultimately just wondering if it was all almost over, right? Um, and then I thought about how I felt when I stepped out of that horrible roller coaster back onto the platform after the ride was over, and I was like resurfacing to gravity, right? And to the rock beneath my feet that was sure and certain. And that was a picture to me of what orientation is. What David shows us in this psalm, when we look to creation to remind us of our good and intricate creator, and when we look to the pages of the Bible and we see his commands as perfect, trustworthy, right, radiant, pure, firm, precious, and so very sweet, and we allow them to refresh us, to make us wise, to give us joy and light. We use these things to ground us and orient us after the roller coasters in this life. And in doing so, we put our feet back on the platform, on the rock, on the redeemer, and we know that it is good, and we know that he is good, and we long for our lives and our words to be pleasing to him. Let's pray. God, I just thank you for the ways that you choose to orient us um, after the storms and, and the crazy things that we go through in this life. Um, not promising that we won't go through more, but, but promising us that you're right there with us in them that you are the rock beneath our feet, that you have saved us and that you continue to redeem us. And God, might we learn how to use your scriptures with hearts that are open um, to your commands. May we trust that they are, are there to help us and not harm us. May we feel that your commands are not burdensome. God, may we um, just try to come to them every day with a joy in our hearts, knowing um, that they will reveal more of who you are to us. And God, I just thank you um, for the ways that you've put us in this world where we can see 
your glory all around us. And may you open our eyes more to that every day. Um, and as we go from here, no matter where um, any of us find ourselves on through the three stages that we're talking about, God, I just pray that we would trust that you are good, that you are holy, and that you will always, always lead us back to that rock. Um, I know there's another psalm where David says, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. And I love that, God. I just, I, and that's what I pray for us today, that you would just lead us back to you, to that rock that is higher than ourselves that we can't get to on our own. I just thank you for that. And I just ask as we close today that our worship would just be sweet in your ears. In your name we pray. Amen. Please stand and join us. Did you say, seek, you will surely find, and I am searching, Lord, turn your eyes to mine. But I am weary. And I'm pacing at these gates. Jesus, come, come now, don't delay. Like a child. Ever faithful may I be. And this I ask, O oh God of mercy, hear my plea. And I have wandered with a soul impure and for this scorn Father send a cure and we go on and on and on and on and on for all these years We go on and on and on and on and on with all these fears. We go on and on and on and on and on, the ending of our lives. Hey, hey. 
come to you, my one and only, and promise not to turn my eyes again. And yes, I know we're but a breath, but I want to taste and see and feel you nonetheless. Yeah, the years, they keep on turning, and I'm battered, but I'm burning for you, Lord. Yeah, I want to wake and feel your glory. I want to speak in tongues of angels for you, Lord. Yeah, yeah. I want to sing a song eternal. I want to trample on the curses of the earth. Yeah, yeah. I want to call upon your healing. I want to see the sick and weary be made new. Yeah, yeah. I want to swim inside the blessings. I want to swim inside the blessings of your love. Yeah, yeah, of your love, of your love, of your love, of your And have my heart dry and dusty, though it be. And these lungs, tired from calling out to thee, and will you come? Now, and make your home, and may we drink the cup of life and overflow. God bless you all. Have a great week.